Hello, everyone. Um, I'm so glad and so blessed that I get to share the Word of God with you again. Um, I am very humbled and blessed that Pastor Jake has um, entrusted me to preach in his absence. And we are starting a new book, and I'm so excited, I'm so pumped up about what I believe the Lord has for us. James, such an incredible book. So I'm going to introduce all of us to what this book is all about, and we're going to go through chapter one. And I'm really excited because this is actually a very controversial book. And it's also a book that a person that you would not believe actually tried to ban this book and actually kick it out of the Bible. Speaking of which, have you noticed um, Everything new is old. People all over the world through human history have tried to ban books. Uh, and uh, we are flipping the script. And now for good reasons, we are trying to remove certain books from the kids' libraries. You know what I'm talking about? With all of the sexualization of our children and uh, all the literally graphic pornography that... Um, uh, is just bombarding our kids in schools. But back in the day, um, the tendency was the opposite, where books, such as the Bible as a whole, was tried to be banned. In my country, as you know, I already mentioned, I lived in Bulgaria back um, behind the curtain wall, you know, with Bulgaria being a socialist country, with the rest of the Eastern Bloc, the Bible was a banned book, and if you were found, to have a Bible in your possession or your home, you are in trouble. And so this is nothing new, uh, but as I mentioned, the script has been flipped. I don't know if you know this, um, and I don't know how many years ago, I would say between 25 and 30 years ago, Canada tried to alter the Bible, and they actually decided to remove certain controversial verses that have to do with, uh, with sexuality and morality. And there was a big, uh, you know, demonstrations of revolt, so they decided not to do that. But they were seriously planning on revising the Bible and removing politically incorrect verses. So what does that have to do with, uh, with the book of James? Well, a certain person who received the revelation, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, and salvation comes by faith alone, we all know who that is. It is Martin Luther, the reformer, who was so frustrated with the book of James that he literally wanted to remove it from the canon, from the New Testament. Why? Because he received this revelation about how we are saved by faith alone. And while reading chapter 2, he couldn't reconcile his new revelation about being saved by faith and not by works, that he could not fathom why there would be verses where James is talking about how my faith without works is dead. And he was just, I hate this. And he just, we literally wanted to, with the influence he had, to remove the book of James from the Bible. Yeah, that is the same Martin Luther that we know of, the reformer, the one from Germany, wanted to remove the whole book from the New Testament. And so I'm going to start with verse 1, and we're going to stop there. Because there's so much to dig in into the formal greeting that this book starts with. So if you want to open with me to the book of James, and we're going to read just the first verse. And so I'm going to give you a few more 
seconds there. So James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersions. Greetings. You see, we need to stop actually at the first word, which is his name, James, because this is fake news. His name was actually not James. His name was actually Jacob. And so you're like, what is happening here? I didn't know any of these things, like what is my Bible inaccurate or something. Yes, James was not his name. Actually, the name James, the Jewish version, the Jewish original name is Yaakov, which was gentilized as James. So Yaakov or Jacob is his actual name. And since the 13th century, the form of the Latin name, Jacobus, began its use in the English. And in the 14th century, none other than John Wycliffe, am I pronouncing it correctly? Wycliffe made the first Bible translation into English. And he translated Jacobus or Jacob into James. And then, however, in both in the Old and the New Testament, anywhere where the names of the patriarch Jacob was mentioned, was translated correctly into Jacob. And later, the good old King James, who wanted to put his name in the Bible and be known forever, uh, he actually sponsored the translation of the so-called authorized translation of the Bible. And his name, James, is there for that reason as well. On top of that, Christian tradition holds that this James, just like Jude, is one of the sons of Joseph and Mary, which makes James a half-brother of Jesus. I'm going to just read quickly verses, but they're in different places, so let's just stay in the book of James, and I will just read out loud those verses. So we see in Matthew 13, 55, where it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James or Jacob and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And we also read in Galatians 1, 19, But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. James, just like Jesus' family, did not really believe in Jesus in terms of he did not necessarily believe that his half-brother Jesus is the son of God, that he's the creator of the universe, that he is the Messiah. And we actually read about that in Mark 3, Verse 21, where it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. It is believed that James became a believer when Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the Apostles. James was also with the rest of the disciples in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. And in 
um, Acts 1.14, it says, All these who were with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. He became a leader of the church of Jerusalem, Galatians 2.9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, pillars, received the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, that refers to the Jews. And so what we see here is that that person, James, whose real name, Jacob, is someone who actually did not believe that his brother, Jesus, is who he claimed to be. They thought he was crazy because they thought, as I quoted, that Jesus must have been out of his mind. And we would say, but how can he not believe in Jesus? Didn't he see the miracles? He grew up with him. Well, wait a minute. If you have a sibling, a brother, who all of a sudden starts claiming that he is the son of God and that you need to worship him and that he created the world and he existed way, way before he came out of his mother's womb, what would you say? I think if we transition in our minds and transport ourselves back to those times, would we believe in Jesus? If Jesus were our brother or sister, would you believe in that person to be the son of God, the Messiah? Is it easy? I think it's easy for us 2,000 years later to say, man, I wish I have seen Jesus. Have we not said that ourselves? I wish I get to go and see him perform those miracles. I wish I was there to worship at his feet. But no, I don't think we're any better or different than James. And so I understand that he had these doubts. I could just imagine him sitting on a big rock by the river or at home, scratching his head and saying, man, all this stuff, what's going on with my brother? Bro, I need to pray for him, right? Imagine him later after Jesus died on the cross, before Jesus revealed himself in his new resurrected body for him to see the wounds where the nails were driven and to realize that Jesus rose from the dead and that's when he became a believer. Imagine in that gap where he heard all of the other apostles talking about Jesus being resurrected and all the miracles and everything else. Just imagine him there pondering and thinking like, man, I mean, I remember us wrestling on the ground. That, that Jesus, man, what are the chances that that Messiah that my nation of Israel has been waiting for thousands of years, what are the chances that that would happen to me? Right? I mean, I remember us throwing rocks at the, at the river and trying to compete who's going to make more skips. That Jesus? Really? That Jesus? You see, this is the internal struggles. I, I get to understand, James, because I get to imagine what it is like to believe or to have to believe that your sibling is the one that it is the Lord Almighty. And so if I think about the first verse, this is what I see. 
I see that James is starting from the familiar. And he's trying to reconcile with Jesus, who is the Son of God, who's going to be unfamiliar because he never had a relationship with that unfamiliar deity called Jesus. I think he starts from the informal and he needs to go to the formal because then he needs to worship his brother Jesus as the Son of God. Do you see, do you see the gap, the leap that he needs to make? He needs a revelation of all of these things. This is his brother. There is a big leap that he needs to make. This must be a radical transformation from the familiar, from the known to the unknown, from the irreverent, the way they probably wrestled, to the reverent. It's a big leap, my friends. And so he must have wrestled for a long, long time. This must have been a crisis of faith. You have to understand the first verse is so radical and transformational because that James needed to leap from knowing his brother to wrestling with the fact that he was the luckiest guy in the world because he spent all of his childhood with the living God, with the Messiah that they were expecting for thousands of years. And all of a sudden he's wrestling, wrestling. He, he hears the words of Jesus echoing in his mind. And having to ask himself, is it possible, God, that this guy that I know we wrestled, we skipped stones together, we, I know everything about him, is it possible that he is? And so verse 1 comes as a punching line. Because in verse 1, he says, James, fake name, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he came to the moment where he believed and he understood when you and I read verse 1, this is the way it needs to echo. I was here, and now I'm here. I thought I know him, but now I know him better. It was irreverent, now it's formal and reverent. Because I, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, can tell you I am not the brother. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 12 tribes. So you see, he's starting this epistle telling people, I am an unbeliever no more because my brother, I'm calling him my Lord, servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's welcome James to the family of God. <laughs> Amen. Woo! Because Jesus found a way to reveal himself in an amazing way. That James understood that he needs to go from the known to the unknown. From the familiar to the reverent. That is why the first verse needs to punch us right in the gut. James. a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling him, brothers, I believe. This is the way he starts this amazing episode. And then he continues with the next verses. And he's 
sharing with us amazing, amazing message. Let's continue with the verses two to four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you think there is a reason why after James making this incredible proclamation that he's a believer and that he's the brother of Jesus no more, but he's a servant of God and that he considers his half-brother his Lord and Savior? Do you think there is a reason why he continues and talks about trials and tribulations? I think, I think he's probably reminiscing of his own journey. And so he says, count it as all joy, count it as all joy, my brothers, when, not if, did you catch that? When you meet trials in various kinds. It seems like James is promising to us that we will go through trials and hardships because we know that every word in the Bible is there for a reason. Again, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect like something is brewing, there is a process and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, why in the world would I have joy and be happy when trials are facing my way? Isn't that counterintuitive? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that something that someone who doesn't understand what life is all about is talking here and trying to make us believe? I mean, especially in our society, we know, you know very well that the American dream is to have an amazing life, to be prosperous, to be blessed. Why would I ever want to go to trials? I mean, we complain about everything, right? I know we mentioned this before, so I'm repeating myself, but I'm going to say it again. We have convenience stores for a reason, folks. They're called convenience stores because we idolize convenience. Ain't that the truth? So we, as a, we as, as a culture, as a society, have been programmed for everything to be easy. We are the ones that discovered the drive-through. Yes, the drive-through, why would I have to, oh, are you kidding me? I'm gonna have to park the car, and I have to lock it, and then I have to go to McDonald's, and I have to pull out my wallet. Are you crazy? No convenience. You're gonna fit me right through the window, right? <laughs> convenience, I mean, seriously, we idolize convenience. In every aspect of our lives, what we like, what we worship, and what we idolize is convenience. Less stress, less pressure, less resistance, right? So why would James say count it as all joy, my brothers? Why would I count it as all joy? I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I don't remember if I gave it here. Uh, pardon me if I'm repeating myself. If I'm repeating myself, blame my wife. So I will say that. Um, long time ago, I was at the gym. And uh, as you see, I'm doing great. Uh, trying to <laughs> trying to get in shape, and this is a true story. And we are going there, and this guy is looking at the mirror, and he's lifting, and he's um, 
veins are popping out, uh, and I feel like I don't have to poke the vein with a needle, I just need to do this, and the way Rip is falling off the bone, his vein would just burst open. And the guy goes, and he goes, yeah! I mean, he's screaming. And I'm looking to my friend, you know, like, what's happening here? And he is in agony, and he almost swears. I mean, he's screaming. This thing is bigger than the Eiffel Tower. And he's lifting it like that, and he's screaming every time. And on top of that, that jerk is in front of the mirror. <laughs> like, he's so self-absorbed that he's looking at every vein part. And I'm asking him, I'm like, dude, what is, what is happening? And he says, listen, it is painful, yes. Say, you see, he's probably been doing this for years. And everyone, have you, have you heard, no, no pain, no gain? Yes. This is perfect. He says, listen, no pain, no gain. He needs to lift. It really hurts. But every time he looks in every month or two, he sees the progress that he's making. And he probably remembers the skinny guy he was. And every time he pops, he's not thinking about the pain. He's thinking about the gain, the tomorrow, and in the next week, and the next month, he's going to be better and better. And he says, do you know how we actually gain muscle? I said, no. He says, every time you lift and after you exercise, when you go home, the muscle fibers actually break. And then when they recover and when they get together and reconnect, this is how you build muscle. That's why we call it no pain, no game. And I was like, I never thought about that. You see, the guy is not enjoying the pain. But he's thinking, he's looking forward to after the pain he's going through with every little muscle fiber being broken down, that the next day he's going to go on the process of recovery. And as the end result, he's going to be bigger. So every time he goes, he sees the progress and he goes, oh, yeah, because I know what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, yeah, this hurts now, but to God, I'm going to be bigger. You see, this is what James is telling us about. What he's talking about is counted as all joy right now when you go through trials in various kinds. Why do I need to be happy? Because you know, you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. And then when you allow the steadfastness to fuel its own course, to, to accomplish what steadfastness is supposed to accomplish, then as a direct result of that, you're going to be complete, lacking nothing. This is your spiritual gym, guys. What he's talking about is don't go and complain. You need to look forward to the final product. So every time you lift all the heavy weights of testing, you need to tell yourself, I'm going to be complete. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be lacking because these trials and difficulties, they're going to test my faith. And then when my, my faith is tested, then what's going to happen is I'm going to be steadfast and I'm going to keep, keep, keep pumping the iron because when this steadfastness is producing this re final result, I'm going to be complete and I'm, gonna look, and I'm, not, not, I'm not going to lack anything. That's what James is talking about. You see, if we see the final result and if we realize why we need to be joyful, because there is a process and there is a reason we're going to get from here, here, then I can look back and say, aha, yes, I'm going to greet my difficulties and trials with joy because I know that God is in it and he wants to produce something in my life. I'm not enjoying the process, but I know I'm going to enjoy the final result. No pain, no gain. 
And if I want to be a stronger Christian, the pain I'm going through to get here when I'm stronger in my faith goes directly through trials. Then I'm going to say to God, keep him coming. If this is what you're doing, God, all right, because I know you're going to be with me. So you see, James is giving us a map to which we need to follow. It's almost like an arrow that says, be happy because you know that when you meet trials, here's the arrow, of various kinds, you know that the testing of your faith is going to produce steadfastness and then you need to marinate a little more in that steadfastness because when it's gone through the whole course of what it's supposed to do, then you're going to be complete and lacking nothing. Aha, uh-huh. I get it from A, B, C, D, and here I'm big, I'm good, all right. I'm going to be joyful now. This is what he's telling us. So now I understand that these verses are supposed to encourage me that when I'm scratching my head and asking myself, why am I going through this? There is a reason. Are you enjoying what you're going through? Do you have joy realizing and knowing that God is in it with you, that you're going through difficulties and trials? Maybe you feel like some kind of persecution at work or whatever it is. We need to greet that, my friends, with joy, knowing that God has something in mind for us, that he wants to produce something in us. Count it as joy. Is it possible that God is in this? Absolutely. And he continues. He continues because... hmm, I'm thinking about James with his trials. Do you think that this has something to do with verse 1 when he started from the irreverent and went to the reverent, when he started from the casual and went to the formal? Is it possible? I would say yes, because I think James was, his trial was, as I already mentioned, the testing of his faith. He had the crisis in his faith. And you see, what needed to happen in his life is he was tested because he needed to know that his brother is the son of God. That his brother was not out of his mind as we read his old family thought he was. That he is that gift Israel has been awaiting for for thousands of years. And so yes, he had a trial. He had a moment of crisis in his faith. And his faith was tested. And he took that seriously. And then he went through a process of steadfast. Why was he steadfast? Because he didn't brush it off saying, that's crazy, that cannot be. And I don't know, and we're speculating how many years it took, but he was steadfast in his pursuit for truth. So that one day, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him in his steadfastness pursuit of truth and knowledge. And he saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he went to the last one. That was the process of being steadfast and not giving up in the pursuit for truth. And one day, why is he saying that as the end result of being steadfast, it will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Because you see, there is a void in each and every one of us. And that void that I have 
this is for someone, maybe someone watching, that void can be filled with nothing else but Jesus. There was a black NBA player decades ago who was on opera show. I'm wondering if that opera of today would have given him the platform today to speak of, about Jesus as she did decades ago. But he told her, I don't remember his name, opera. I have been looking for something my whole life and I have tried this and this and this and this. And she says, I want to tell you something. When I found Jesus, I stopped looking. There is a void in each and every one of us. And when you find Jesus and you understand that it's like a key to a lock and it fills that void in a perfect way, you almost feel perfect in the sense that you're not lacking anything. Why? Because when I have Jesus, I have everything. Are you with me? I'm going to read it again. Think about James. Think about yourself. Think about someone who doesn't know Jesus. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness full its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is James talking to us. I was in a crisis mode and I didn't know if this Jesus that I know and I'm familiar with is the Son of God. And I was wrestling, wrestling. I was in a crisis mode of my faith, even though I was raised Jewish. But then I decided in my pursuit of knowledge and truth to be steadfast in my crisis. And one day the resurrected Jesus revealed himself to me. And that gap that every one of us has was filled with nothing else than Jesus. And I'm writing to you that when you find that Jesus in your steadfast pursuit of, of truth, you will be complete and you will lack nothing. Amen, amen, and amen. Because only Jesus can make you complete. Are you steadfast this morning? in whatever God is allowing you to go through. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever give up. Yes, I stole that. You know who I stole it from. But that truth, because all truth is God's truth, is true for you too. You may be going through, through a trial this morning and you don't know why God is allowing this to happen. And here is another amazing ruby or diamond of what he's telling us. Verse 5. Now we're going to see the logical progression of what James is talking about. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all whom approach to all without reproach and it will be given to him if we follow logically what James is talking about why would he talk in the very next verse it's almost like change of subject he's talking about if you lack wisdom <coughs> excuse me because when I go through this and I see my trials and I see the testing of my faith and I see that that leads me to steadfastness. And then as the result of steadfastness, I'm going to be complete. I need to pray. And I need to ask God for wisdom. And when God gives me the wisdom, I can see the whole path of pain. I can look back many times in retrospect. And if I ask God and say, God, give me wisdom. Why did you allow me to go with this? Then I receive wisdom and I understand 
that every step of my way of pain and trials has led me to this way. And I'm complete, and I understand that God was with me every, every step of the way. I understand that God has allowed this to happen in my, in my life. I understand not only that God allowed it, maybe God orchestrated it. But you see, when you go through pain, don't lift your fist against God. Don't hate him. Don't accuse him of anything. Stop. <coughs> and just like James, be steadfast in your pursuit of truth. And say, God, I don't understand what's happening in my life. This sucks. I don't like it. It's hard. Give me wisdom to understand. And all of a sudden, James received this wisdom because he prayed and he understood what I just described. This whole process. We need wisdom to understand that every one of those steps, trials, hardship, steadfastness, leads to the final result of being full and complete, lacking nothing. That is the wisdom that this world does not understand. Because every time they go through something hard, they raise their fist at God and say, where was God in my situation? Where was God in my difficulties? But only the divine wisdom from God, when we come to him and surrender everything and ask us children, he will give us the wisdom to understand that there is a reason why you go through what you go through. We continue. And then he continues. In the next verses, we're going to jump a chunk of verses. We're going to go to verses 16 to 18. <coughs> Do not be deceived. Again, James 1, verses 16 to 18. Do not be deceived, my brothers. He actually says, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Come down from the Father of the lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creation. We see he gives us this proclamation about his own paradigm shift, about his own revelation where he struggled and he finally came to faith. And then he gives us this amazing <coughs> revelation about why we go through what we go through. And he says, by the way, that is to be received by wisdom. So when you go to stuff, you need to pray and ask God to give you wisdom about the reason that he has led you through this. And that he's in control, that he hasn't forgotten you. How do I know that he prayed so much and asked for wisdom? Church tradition tells us, like many other apostles, he had some kind of a nickname. And he actually had two. One of them, he is called James the Just. And the other one, he is called the Apostle with Camel Knees. If you Google the Apostle with Camel Knees, James will pop up. You see, what happened was James, through everything that I described to you, it was nothing but prayer. And James prayed so much in his life that he literally had calluses 
the size of a knees of a camel. Have you seen the knees of a camel with all the excess um, skin that they have? Imagine the type of a person of prayer James was, that one of his nickname was the apostle with the knees of a camel, or they just called him camel knees. Because this guy had prayed so much for wisdom, he probably played so much for revelation. God, is this true? Is it possible that it is my brother? I don't understand that. He asked for wisdom and he asked for revelation all the time, all the time, all the time. And he gives us the secret of everything I talked to you about. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Being on your face in the presence of God in your steadfast prayer in pursuit of truth. That is who James is. He's the apostle who prayed so much that the calluses on his knees were so big that he looked like camel knees. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Do we appreciate all the gifts and the blessing that God is giving us, is bestowing upon us every day? Do we appreciate the fact that we are healthy or that we are alive, that we have jobs, that we get to cover our expenses. If we go through trials and maybe we don't have perfect health, do we appreciate the church we have and the, and the spiritual support that we receive, that we are so loved and acknowledged and appreciated and welcome in our church or whatever other blessings that we have? I want you to think for 10, 15 seconds. Let's not, let's not take our blessings for granted. And I will ask you, quickly, just shout it out. If you want to give praise to God and share with us a blessing that you don't want to take for granted, go ahead and shout it out. Health. Yes, thank you. What did you say? Life. Life. Amen. Someone else? Provision. Family. Salvation. Our beautiful country, we live in a free country, yet, so far, until now. So many things, right? So many things. If we just sit and think, we understand that every good gift is not from my hand, is not from my work, is not from my ability or my intellect, it is from God. But when James talks about this fact and he says, do not be deceived by brothers, why would I be deceived do, do I know that I haven't created anything? I mean, some things, it's easy to acknowledge that they are blessing from God, correct? Do you know why I think he's also writing about how every good gift is from above? Because I firmly believe that this whole crisis of faith that he went through, he acknowledged that that is also a gift from God. That whole time of prayer when he had callous on his knees, praying, agonizing, going through trials, not knowing if he missed the mark, that struggle between the formal and the irreverent and everything else and the divine, he understood that that crisis of faith was a good gift coming from God. And that's why he says, do not be deceived. 
Every good, God, every good gift comes from God. And I want to encourage you today, my friends. Do you go through trials? Is there something that you struggle with? Think about the fact that God is going to produce faith and steadfastness. And one day you are going to be lacking nothing. I want to tell you that what you go through right now, according to scripture, is a gift from God. I've talked to you before, if you remember, about the theology of suffering. You see, it is a good gift from God because when I'm marinating in my process of steadfastness, God is purifying me. Like gold. He's removing all the dirt, all of the things that are not supposed to be in my life. And I know this is a process where I simmer in, in the agony, in the pain, and I decide and I speak to my soul. I'm going to be steadfast in the name of Jesus. I will not give up. It is a gift from God. Because then I'm going to go back to the good old truth. Whether I have money or not. If I have Jesus, I have everything. Whether I'm okay or maybe suffering a little bit. If I have Jesus, I'm going to be all right. I'm not getting along with my boss. I'm not sure if, if I'm going to be... Fired or not, but right here I have Jesus, and he has filled the gap that nobody else can fill. I'm going to be okay. Right now, I don't have enough money, but in Jesus, I am not lacking anything. So I want to encourage you that whatever you go through, you have to realize that God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. And what you go through, some way, shape, or form, it is a good gift from God. And if you stay steadfast, unmovable in your faith, you're going to be stronger. Your muscles are going to pull, but on the other side, you're going to look in the mirror and you say, I'm not the same man I was before this trial. I'm stronger. I'm closer to God. I'm more unshakable in my faith. That's why James says that every good gift is from God and we should not be deceived by the enemy who wants to tell us, you are not worthy. God has forgotten you. He doesn't love you anymore. You deserve what you're going through and you will never get better. James says, do not be deceived. God is with you and you're gonna go through this. Yes, it is possible that every one of those is a good gift. We're almost finished. And in the last section that we're going to look is verses 22 to 25. James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once he forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres listen to the word he's using and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. James says, let's not deceive ourselves that we just listen, 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 and then we don't do anything about it. And it is crazy 
Because you see, when I preach to you, what you hear right now is nothing more than a theory. What you hear right now, it's a theory. But if you want to go and do it, it's practice and application. Unless I do what I just heard, it's nothing more than a theory. But if I want to go and apply it in my life, I am a disciple and I have applied what I have heard. I rather know less and apply it than know more and do nothing with it. And I hope you're the same way. I rather know less and apply it than know a lot and do nothing with it. Hearing is like the leaves of a tree that just takes it in. If you're a tree, the leaves of the tree is your ears. Because through the leaves, the tree gets everything, all the water that falls on it and the sun and everything else. If you're a tree, just like the Bible describes us, hearing is like the leaves that just take it in. However, doing is the fruit of the tree. Because fruit is what comes out. And when I do, I do what comes out as a result of what I have heard and I have decided to apply it in my life. It shows what kind of a, what kind of a tree I am because the tree is judged by the fruit, whether it is a good fruit or not a good fruit. What does that have to do with James? Well, let's look back at the life of James. Hearing in the life of James was the casual, the familiar, and the irreverent. Hearing was James spending time with Jesus because he has heard the voice of Jesus. He has heard what Jesus has done. He has probably even heard some of the teachings of Jesus. That is what hearing is. James has heard his words many times. Doing is James formal. Doing is the reverent. Doing is the transformational. Because one day he decided to apply everything that he heard from the teachings and he decided to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He decided to make Jesus not his half-brother, but his Lord and Savior, God Almighty. That is his doing. And the fruit of his doing was verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was not his hearing. That was his doing. A life of surrender. Just like the way we heard the song, I surrender. I think that was prophetic. I think that was the perfect song for today's message. You see, doing was James's fruit that revealed transformation. Doing was James's fruit that showed that he is a good tree. So the question for us this morning is this. Are you going through a faith crisis? Are you struggling with something and you're perhaps even questioning God and his sovereignty? And I want to tell you that this is a good gift from God. Because if you decide to be steadfast in your moment of doubt, you better grow knees like a camel. Don't give up. Don't ever, ever give up. Stay on knees. 
and pray like crazy because then you will receive a wisdom understanding that in those moments God has not forgotten you that is a lie from the pit of hell but God is with you right there in the den with the lions and may God give you the wisdom to understand that when you get up out of your, from your knees, you're going to proclaim and say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my life. Whether I have something or nothing, I am complete because in Jesus I have everything. And when you do that, you decide to be more of a doer and less of a hearer. And that is what it's all about. So my question to you this morning is, are you going to be a doer? I'm going to take this message. I'm going to go home and instead of being worried and depressed, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to thank God for what you have. I'm going to take for granted the blessings or not. Go and apply it. And so tomorrow when you go to work, look at yourself in the mirror and say, today I'm going to be light for Jesus. Today I'm his servant. And today I'm going to do exactly what the, the Holy Spirit tells me to do. No more and no less. And if God tells me to go and talk to this person, I'm going to talk to that person. And if God tells me to pray for that person, I'm going to go and pray for that person. And I'm going to, pray from, to be brave from my faith. And I'm going to shrink back. And I'm going to go and thank him. And regardless of how difficult it is, I'm going to go to work with a smile on my face. Because when I have Jesus, everyone says, I have everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.